Welcome to the Grin Gets Real podcast, a show for marketers by marketers to talk shop and share insights on the ever-changing landscape of the digital world. My name is Katya and I am your host on this exciting journey as we talk to our experts who join us. In every episode, we aim to help marketers maximize their potential by getting real with industry experts across multiple industries and disciplines. From influencer marketing to e-commerce strategy, we talk through it all and leave you with actionable tips to help you in the day-to-day of marketing. Now, my guest today is an influencer marketing agent and brand partnership consultant based in New York City and sometimes beyond under her company entity, Best Day Ever. Christy's goal in the brand space, whether working as a creative strategist, podcast producer, or managing content for her roster's deals, is to build out-of-the-box strategies that uphold ethics and integrity to leave the world a better place than she found it. So, my friends, put your AirPods in, turn up that volume, and get ready for my guest today, Christy Childers. All right, Christy, welcome to the Grin Gets Real podcast. Super excited to have you on. I'm excited to talk about the full funnel marketing strategy with creators and just kind of diving into that. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. I feel like it's always fun to talk to you. We kind of banter well. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, before we even get started with, you know, just kind of the funnel questions, I'd love it if you can share a bit about your experience just in your current role as an influencer marketing agent and brand partnership consultant. What does that mean? What does that encompass? Tell me all about it. Yeah, for sure. So my company that I work everything through is called Best Day Ever. So as of right now, it is just me. I don't think I'll ever have other people. I kind of like to work alone, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, But Best Day Ever basically encapsulates anything in the influencer marketing industry that I'm currently working on. And the overall goal is to just take on projects, take on clients and work with great brands who are doing wonderful things for the world. I specifically won't work with brands or agencies or specific accounts that I think are not adding something good to the world. Mm -hmm. That's really important to me. And I think it's a really big privilege to be able to choose who you work with coming from an agency background and always kind of being served clients, whereas now I can kind of be more selective. So as far as representing influencers, I'm an agent to I think 10 or 11 influencers now. I represent non-exclusively, so they're free to work on anything they want to work on without me. But if they want to loop me in, that's great too. And I handle the process from end to end as a liaison between them, brands, agencies, and also help them with content strategizing, timelines, making sure that everything keeps moving. And then as far as brand consulting, I have specifically started to focus a lot more in creative strategy around Mm -hmm. influencer marketing. I used to campaign manage a lot. It's not really my passion point anymore, but I have a very diverse background in campaign management all the way through regular influencer campaigns, promoting product through to event marketing, through to experiential. So kind of a full full scope background when it comes to influencers. I like to say like, if you can dream it with influencers, I've probably done it. 
I love it. And this is why our conversation is going to have so many tidbits of um, just kind of helpful insights that people can walk away with for sure. Now, during our pre-podcast conversation, one of the things that you had mentioned was that when you first got started, you realized that some of the brand deals you were looking at were basically Mm -hmm. screwing over creators. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know what, in your opinion, were just the biggest red flags when you were initially looking at it, because I think that a lot of people don't don't realize that something could be screwing over a creator. I don't think people have the intention of doing that, or maybe totally maybe they do. I don't know. So <laughs> I would say I'm fifty fifty on that. I think sometimes it's totally unintentional, but sometimes I do think that they're just trying to sort of downplay exactly what the ask is. That's where I really run into a problem with some of these things. So for example, when we get emails in for campaign interest to influencers, I sometimes will see a brand or an agency that breaks down the full scope of work, including the usage, including the exclusivity, including everything that I really need to know to quote a proper rate for that. If a brand is trying to keep an influencer exclusive for up to six months, we would need to account for the potential lost income that they would not have access to should one of those other brands reach out and want to work with them during that period, which is totally fine, especially if they're passionate about this brand, they're excited to work with them, but they have to protect their interests. And I am there to protect their interests um, as far as their potential income, because it's uh, for all of my creators currently, it's their full-time job. So that's important. And the usage, if they just want to use the content organically on social, that's great. And that's always included. But if you want to use these in paid ads, we have to take into account that you're going to be using their name likeness in these ads for your business. And we need to make sure that they're compensated for that because otherwise they could, you know, shoot in-house videos with models or create stock imagery, purchase stock imagery. But these are real people with livelihoods and reputations that we have to watch out for. So when those are not given to us up top, I can't give you a proper rate. And then if those are not given to us, I give you the rate that we would be working off of, and then I'll get a contract. And then all of a sudden, there's all this exclusivity, all this different usage, worldwide perpetual rights that are transferable, should the Mm -hmm. brand be bought out, different things like that. And in a creator's interest, you can't just give over all these rights that could potentially be transferable to a business that got bought out, say they got bought out by a company that does not align with this influencer, we have to be able to revoke that if that is something that's important to them. Yeah. So I think sometimes they come in with what seems like this really easy, breezy, open scope of work. And then Uh it turns into, you know, them trying to have basically rights to this content in perpetuity that they can do whatever they want with, like plaster it on the side of a bus. If you paid them, let's say, you know, a thousand dollars, which was great for a social post, but you can't then go plaster these photos on the side of a bus. That would be a problem. So just things like that. And again, I don't think it's always malicious, but I do think some of these people are smarter than they're getting the credit for. And they yeah. are trying to early on make it seem like it's something less than it is. And that really just goes to show that they understand that some creators might not have managers or agents that are reading over things. And, you know, I understand they're working against a budget. I've been there. I've done yeah. it. Like you're, you're always trying to keep your margins good and spend less than you can. Um, but now that I'm on the flip side of it, it's just really interesting to see. 
it, you said a lot of really great things that I think <laughs> are definitely worth unpacking. A couple of things mm-hmm. is how future forward you're thinking about it that I think that a lot of creators maybe aren't even mm-hmm. thinking about it, or even a lot of brands are thinking about it mm-hmm. of like, all right, I do know that I want to use maybe this picture on my social next week, mm-hmm. but maybe it is something I want to put on a bus somewhere along. So it's yeah. interesting that you even bring that up as well too. But I'm also, as a follow-up question to this, I'm kind of curious mm-hmm. when you're looking over contracts now, having done it, and then, you know, with a roster of about 11 creators, do you find that you're doing more negotiating with brands or educating brands? Like to me, those are two different those are two different things. Negotiation is I totally totally understand it, right? Or education is like, hey, this is why this is not reasonable. Do you think it's like a 50-50 balance or do you think that you're still needing to educate brands? a lot more on the why. Yeah, I would say with smaller brands and agencies, it's a lot of education. And usually they're very open to it. And they're like, thank you so much for calling that out. I never would have thought about it that way or noticed because also to some brands and agencies working with influencers is still relatively new. So they're creating these contracts and these scopes off of other activity that they're more familiar with. And they don't realize that that may not necessarily be the way that you activate and engage talent. So I'm always happy to educate. It's another part of my business is to help operationally educate smaller brands and agencies who are starting to work with influencers and just kind of give them the 101, like the etiquette, if you will, of how it kind of goes. And then with larger brands and agencies, it's definitely more of like a negotiation around, you know, we're, we're excited about this project. We really like this scope and it'll go great. However, we can't give you these six months of exclusivity. We could give you three or maybe one for the budget that you're looking at. If you could extend budget higher, we could get you the full six, kind of something like that. Great. Now, what do you wish then that brands would know before even attempting this first outreach with one of your creators? I would say just when you're drafting the emails that are going to go out to the creators, just include like as much detail as you can about your scope. And and that can be like a really nice bulleted list, just like quick. I want it all in one place. A little bit about the creative, obviously, but more than anything, again, don't come to us without sharing all the important details that it will take for us to create a rate for you. Because then it becomes just a lot more back and forth that's kind of unnecessary when it could really be one email exchange where I'm like, okay, I understand the creative. I understand the full scope of what you're looking to do with your usage, your exclusivity, and where this content would really live. And if you're doing any whitelisting or you know anything really that would tack on extra. And then also for brands and agencies. And I, I don't really have a lot of problems with this in the past. I feel like this was less common, but just remembering that you're working with people. They're not your mm-hmm. media buy They're You know, you're buying media space on their page, but they're human beings. They have things going on. They're buying houses. They're getting married. They're having babies. Yeah. So just to be flexible with timelines. And I always make a big effort to come to the brands when we're in the middle of a partnership, if something's going wrong, if they're sick, if you know, they, the product just came damaged, things like that and and work to push the timelines um, a bit. But I think just knowing once you get into the campaign, you can't always be so rigid uh, when there are things out of, you know, our control that are happening in human beings lives. Yeah. That brings up a really good point with the creators that you work with. Do you think that they value more uh, brands that reaches out 
and is looking more for a partnership and developing a relationship with a creator over a quick transactional like, hey, really loved your feed. Can I get a quick post? Yeah, definitely. And I think it also, it depends on the creative because sometimes we mm-hmm. get approached for a campaign that is tentpole and it's a, about a seasonal moment. And so they yeah. might not have in their marketing plan to create this long-term relationship. But so yeah. we're obviously very open to those more fun, diverse, creative campaigns that are tentpole. But you know, it's wonderful when a brand reaches out and they want to create a relationship or even the agencies reach out and they're like, Oh, I'm working with this brand and I'm a personal fan of yours. So I put you forward to the brand and they loved you. They're so excited. So that's always fun because then, you know, like, obviously I'm a fan of all the creators I represent. I'm (laughs) enamored by them. I, I'm such a fan (laughs) of all of them. I'm enamored by them. I think they're wonderful. And so it's always really complimentary when someone reaches out and they're like, I am also a genuine follower and fan. And I've always wanted to work with you guys and it would be really exciting. And then it honestly just creates a lot of fun for everybody. Absolutely. Well, it it takes it, it, it's a relationship, right? And to your yeah. point, don't forget that they are people. And I think that that's what like the advantage of taking a look at the um, brand ask as a true partnership, a relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that's what humanizes the thing, which, you know, sidebar, it should be humanized to begin with because you are oh, reaching is. out. Like, I feel like it's so obvious, yeah. like just you're reaching out to someone, understand that they also have a life and they have a business. It takes a lot of work to be a creator and then execute on, you know, deliverables that are asked on them. Now, what I had really wanted to dive into was this idea of a full funnel approach, because in our pre-podcast conversation, you and I got like so down the rabbit hole (laughs) of creators are so much more than just this revenue driver, right? Like we Mm -hmm. talked about how there's brand awareness with the expectation that of bottom of funnel Mm -hmm. action of, okay, I'm going to get the sale. I'm going to make the post so that I get your eyes on it. And then immediately that is going to be a bottom of funnel conversion and I'm going to make a sale. And that's the only way I can see success with creators. Break down how you view this full funnel approach with creators. Yeah. So There's a, I mean, there's definitely a couple ways to go in the full funnel approach. If you're, if you're a brand who is deciding I'm going to dedicate all of my marketing spend this quarter to influencers, I'm not going to focus on anything else. Sure. I don't see it like a lot of brands doing that. I think more D to C brands are starting to get rid of a lot of other marketing vehicles and and move towards influencer only, which is great. We love to see it. But if that is your strategy, then you have to know that you're going to be moving down a funnel when you start Mm -hmm. with a new influencer. You know, it's this, this influencer's audience has never seen your brand, at least on their page, they might have seen you around elsewhere, but they've not seen you activate with this partner yet. You need to build that trust with them, that brand awareness, start to move them down into consideration, the more posts they see, and eventually they're going to start converting. Sometimes influencers will convert right off the bat. And that's amazing. And if they do that for your brand, you should definitely continue to work with them until you see that that's not working for you any longer. And then you can pivot. But to expect an influencer to generate sales immediately for you when they're first just starting to let their audience know who you are, why they value you, why they're excited to partner with you, how you make their lives easier, whatever your product is. Honestly, I think it is foolish for anyone to think that you could just immediately 
expect something to convert because that's also not even how it works in many other verticals as well. Exactly. You, you're, you're not just immediately converting off of a lot of the other things that you're doing, but for some reason you're willing to let them have more time to generate your ROI. Whereas with influencers, it's like, no, I want you to sell this today. And I've never understood that in all my time working in influencer marketing. So that's one way. And then and the other way, if you're a brand who's doing a bunch of 360 integrated work, mm-hmm. you should really just see your influencers as another touch point. Again, they're not necessarily going to move someone in their audience down the funnel on day one. But in my opinion, it's a little bit easier for them to move down the funnel because they're getting all these other touch points. Most likely their audience is seeing your out of home ads. They're hearing your podcast mm-hmm. ads. They're seeing you know, your paid ads across all of social. They're already really familiar with you and they're being drilled a lot. And I know as a consumer, I don't typically buy things off the bat when I see influencer marketing. However, I very often see an influencer talk to me about a product and then I go outside, walk around New York and I see a subway ad. I'm like, there they are again. And then I'm, (laughs) you know, and then I'm walking around, I'm listening to a podcast. I hear a podcast. I go, there they are again, those sneaky bastards. Uh. Like I hear them. And I'm like, okay, yeah, they're doing this. Like they're doing it right. I'm being inundated by this brand. So in my opinion, and again, everyone thinks differently about this, but I I think that's the way to go is a really nice 360 approach. And just using influencers as a mechanism and a tool, I don't think that they should be used in silo necessarily. I couldn't agree with you more that the silo approach to, you know, creator management does your entire marketing strategy a complete disservice. I do think that there are times or it's not even times there are campaigns where you kind of need them to be like content creators. Like I know myself, I'm running right now a content campaign where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I literally need the content. Like that's what I need to execute this other initiative that I'm working on. So to me, I see those as like, yeah, absolutely. Probably a little bit more transactional, but also not because this is an introduction to our brand Mm -hmm. for sure. Now, what have not what have it, what kind of content do you think would show a full funnel approach so like for example let's say there is a a beauty brand a beauty brand is such so easy that's probably why i would select it yeah. right but let's say it is a beauty brand like what does a top of funnel creator post look like for a beauty brand is it like an unboxing is it like let me show you the product in in your face like you know? Yeah. So I have noticed a lot of beauty and supplement brands doing this Mm -hmm. a lot lately. And I think the supplement brands have really created this smart sort of campaign strategy or like relationship strategy, if you will, with influencers where they are starting top of funnel by just simply introducing, I'm working with this supplement brand I'm going to start taking these. I'm going to take you guys along for this journey with me, which I think is really underrated. I think like the introduction post to tell audiences like, hey, I'm starting to work with this brand and I want you to know about it because I want you to follow along with this journey that I'm about to take you on is really... It's a really smart move. Like it just creates more transparency. It creates more trust by saying, yes, I am being paid by these people, but I'm going to bring you along with this. And I want you to see you know, the difference from point A to point Z. So 
they're all really starting with that lately. And then I've noticed they're contracting their influencers over a period of time, but they're either doing like very quick same day turnaround approvals, or they're just telling people simply give an update once every two weeks. You don't need to get it approved by us. These are the talking points. If you happen to be reaching for this supplement, if you're in a funny situation one day where you you know, grab for it and the bottle smashes on the ground and you're trying to recover your supplements. So you decide you're going to quickly take some or put some in a smoothie, tell that story, like be authentic about how they actually fit into your day. And then eventually these people are talking about these products so much and how they are really ingrained in their everyday lives, how they're helping them, how they're bringing something to their lives that can be, you know, educational or it can be functional. And then people eventually want to be a part of that too. So they're, you know, giving this constant update on the products. And I just have seen that a lot in supplements lately. And I think that it really works. I've bought some supplements off of, you know, influencers who are just constantly talking to me about them. And I think it's a really smart strategy to start at that upper funnel that way and then just let them organically kind of move people down. Yeah. Tell the story and just be authentic about it. Yeah. Tell the story. And to me, like the bottom of the funnel is like, once you've told me enough of the story, give me the promo code. Yes. Give me the promo code. Give me the, uh, like the link that I'm supposed to click because, yes. okay, I've had enough. I want to try it. Um, exactly. I'm always pushing people to share like the benefits of like whatever your product or service is. Um, but you're right. You hit the nail on the head, especially with supplements. As you're saying that, like I have all of these supplement ads that are going through my head where I'm like, yeah. Ooh, I kind of wish they would tell me the next step. There's one that I see all the time where they're always bringing out, (laughs) they're always bringing out like the water bottle and then the powder and they're like shaking it. And then that's, and then that's it. But I then have been asked subsequently about this particular brand and they're like, well, what does it taste like? How do you feel? I'm like, these to me are all creator questions. Like all questions a creator should be sharing. And to me, that's how I see them moving it down the funnel. That's great. You've started it. You've told me how old you are that, that matches my age, but tell me how it tastes. Tell me like, do you drink it in the morning? Do you have to like, does it make you gag when you're drinking it? Because, but you know, you keep doing it because it feels so good. Like all, all of those things. And that to me is how I see it moving down the funnel as well too. I think it's a missed opportunity for brands. Absolutely. And it's like this sentiment of tapping into People are always looking for knowledge and education on routines, especially now people want to be healthier. They want to be the best they can be. They want to be more efficient. They want things in their lives that are going to be useful, utilitarian. So I think by giving people what they want of that almost like nosiness, I've always said this, influencer (laughs) marketing thrives because of nosiness. People are nosy. They want to know what you're putting on your face. They want to know what you're taking. They want to know what you're wearing. And it's solely because people are really interested in other people's lives so that they can find ways to integrate those things into their own life and be better, be the best version of themselves. So so kind of using that sentiment across all different types of products, it doesn't have to be supplements, anything that can kind of give that deep dive into someone else's life, almost like you're a fly on the wall. That's good. Always. Oh my gosh, that's so true. I feel like I'm a fly on the wall of so many creators that I follow. So I like, many. I know. What are they doing? Oh, those oh, silly. I know rascals. when they've like. <laughs> I know when they've like changed a throw blanket on their couch. I'm like, that's new. Like that oh, that's is different. In, in these people's houses that I am sometimes. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. I have I have followed some female uh, creators where I'm like, did she get extensions or did I just? 
yeah. missed the haircut. Like, what yep. happened? Or did no, she my got big extensions? One, <laughs> my big one is uh, she definitely got veneers. And then I sit there and I, I look at their teeth. <laughs> And I'm like, I know that they're veneers. I'm positive. And then within a couple of weeks, they're like, by the way, guys, I got veneers. Isn't that so funny? You are. They are so like part of, they're part of your day, which makes yeah. them part of your life, which sounds a little, <laughs> sounds so strange to admit. Again, but it's, it's only nosy, you and me, right? <laughs> it's nosy stalker stuff. We're all just nosy stalkers deep down. And whether, whether you want to admit it or not, we're, we're nosy. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. I'm clearly admitting that. And that, my it friends- It keeps me employed. <laughs> exactly. That, my friends, is why creators work. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, do you see, and I, I'm not sure of the roster that you have and like if you're exclusive to like uh, only specific platforms or if you find that they're more Instagram or more TikTok, mm -hmm. like do you work with specific platforms with them or is it a smorgasbord? Yeah. So my creators typically are uh, leaning on Instagram and TikTok. I don't really represent a lot of YouTube creators. I've never okay. been a very YouTube focused influencer marketer, to be honest. So I would say definitely Instagram and TikTok. I have some really, I would say like platform leading influencers on TikTok who really kind of keep up with their trends really well. Uh, and then a lot who have followings on Instagram, most of them have cross followings. So yeah, we'll, you know, sometimes get TikTok specific campaigns, sometimes get Instagram specific, but if they have both and the, and the brand is targeting both platforms, we often do cross posting. Now, what would you say? And I love that it's actually Instagram and TikTok because I think mm -hmm. those are the two that people are really talking about so much yeah. now. What would you say is like kind of the biggest difference between those kind of contracts or partnerships with like an influencer who, let's say, is expected to do something on TikTok versus an influencer mm -hmm. who's expected to do something on Instagram? Is the ROI or the value of both of them just kind of slightly different? Do they get mm -hmm. wildly different asks? Do you like overlap them? What What are kind of the differences and similarities between the two? So it, they've become a bit more similar with the integration of reels, just because a mm -hmm. lot of brands are having reels so highly produced now, um, keeping yeah. up with TikTok. But before that, and even, even still a little bit now, I would say as far as the main difference, I always recommend Instagram stories as far as a site traffic sort of mm -hmm. driver, just because so many people are clicking through links in stories. It's really just like the place that people house links and also in their highlights. Yeah. So that's definitely a big site traffic driver. And then, you know, TikTok as well. It you can still get a lot of links, like link clicks out of link in bio on TikTok. So I, I definitely wouldn't reduce and say that that doesn't drive traffic. But I think people are on TikTok for that short form bite sized content, they want yeah. something fun, they want something exciting or something they can connect with and feel less alone with. Um, I yeah. think TikTok's such a beautiful platform, because it's the place that has really made people realize that they are not alone in the world. Like there is yeah. someone who likes the things you like, they spark joy with their mission of bringing people to together um, for all their sort of like weirdness or quirks or things they think aren't, you know, normal about themselves. So I think with TikTok, it's like bite-sized storytelling. And then 
I really loved, I mean, I know Instagram basically copies TikTok at this point with a lot of stuff (laughs) that they do, which I'm fine with. I like that Reels has been integrated. I think it's, uh, you know, a great way to cross promote. And if that's, if that's what they're looking for, if they want a TikTok and they want a Reel, most of the time we just ask if we can, if we can go ahead and cross promote the same content. If they want original content for each platform, that's fine. But because Reels has been integrated, it's, you know, similar platform strategy and also similar algorithm over there. So I think that that's really the main difference. And then, you know, we're still doing stuff like static feed posts and carousels and stuff like that. But I think, I mean, ever since Instagram announced that they're also becoming a video platform, most brands want video on everything, which is great. Video is king. Video is king. Now, what would you say is key to a good creator and brand partnership? Um, Again, clarity, just Everyone mm-hmm. being clear up front and just re- it's more efficient. It reduces a lot of time that you need to go back and forth. Um, everyone's busy. The brands and agencies have a lot going on. We have a lot going on with different brands. So clarity up front, kindness. We're big on kindness. Best day ever is rooted yeah. in kindness. So even if something goes wrong with the campaign or something's moving slower than it normally would or something like that, just be kind. You know, we're not saving the world here. We're not doing brain surgery, we're selling people (laughs) things. So it's nothing that we're doing is that important. And I urge people to remember that, you know, we're selling stuff. So kindness, and just overall, like excitement for what we're working on together. It's more fun when everybody's excited. And, And that's another thing is because the work that we do is not as serious or, you know, world shifting as some other work, we should be able to have fun with it. Like I think people forget that they got into marketing or a creative career or an advertising career because it's something different and exciting and fun. And if you lose the fun in it and you lose the joy, you kind of rub that off on everyone else. So I think just remembering to have fun. Oh, that's great advice. That's great advice. Okay, so now we've come to the prediction time. What do you see changing in the creator economy over the next year? So changing, it's it's starting to already happen, but uh-huh. I can just, this is just going to be huge. It's the same way I felt when TikTok really popped off. It's going to yeah. be creator NFTs. We are getting into non-fungible tokens with creators. <laughs> and obviously there are specific NFT creators already out there. They're like leading the charge, but we're going to start to see influencers who have been, you know, in the beauty vertical or that lifestyle vertical. They are going to start pairing up with brands to create NFTs. And I am stoked to see it. I think it'll be really cool. I think it'll be the next like brand collab where they're normally doing like a capsule collection or merch or creating their own lip gloss or something like that. It's, you know, just going to end up continuing to move forward into the cryptocurrency world. And I'm really excited to see it. I think it's going to be sick. I love that you said that. It is like you have been a fly on the wall in my office. We have been recently talking about just kind of NFTs and how everybody is, you know, everybody's talking about it. And it is definitely at some point going to just completely infiltrate like the creator economy as well. Yeah, it's it's going to be really exciting. Uh, You have been amazing, this conversation about like just full funnel, how to leverage creators. um, And then really, I'm glad that we've solidified that we're both stalkers of people. (laughs) Uh, So if anybody walks away with anything, this is what you walk away with. Thank you so much. I hope to have you on as a guest so that we can dive deeper into even more things about the creator economy. 
Me too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun as always. Thanks. Well, that conversation with Christy was so much fun. I love it when a guest comes on and we can nerd out on the marketing funnel. And this one was especially exciting because we included creators in that conversation. I think so often brands have a siloed approach to influencer marketing or creators in general, going into it with the top of funnel mentality, expecting bottom of funnel results. That is the sales. It's like you're shooting yourself in the foot with this approach though. Leverage your creators to share your brand's story and introduce, educate, and then give them path to purchase. Christy's insights on how to have a great brand creator relationship is going to be so helpful for other brands to hear. It's important to remember that while creator management is a strategy, they are people, creators are people, and approaching this as a relationship will only benefit your bottom line. Want to hear more? Be sure to subscribe to the Grin Gets Real podcast to get the latest episodes. Give us some stars. I wouldn't mind five of them. And leave us a review. Tell me what you love or like. Connect with me on social. You can find me on LinkedIn, Katya Allison. If you're interested in learning more about Grin, visit our website at grin.co. Until next time, keep grinning.